Hi, I'm Kenneth B. Morris Jr. I'm the great-great-great-grandson of Frederick Douglass and the great-great-grandson of Booker T. Washington, and I'm on the tightrope. And so I spent really the first part of my life, 30 years or so, not engaged with this, this lineage at all. And everything changed in 2005. I read a National Geographic magazine and the cover story was 21st century slaves. And it was an article about human trafficking and modern day slavery existing all over the world, including uh, right here in the United States. And Dr. Rose, you talked in your introduction about how slavery may have, may have ended 150 years ago, but they're always finding other ways to be able to enslave us. And I remember reading that article and thinking that, wait a minute, I know that slavery ended with the work of Frederick Douglass and the abolitionists uh, signing of the Emancipation Proclamation, the Civil War, ratification of the 13th Amendment, but slavery still exists. And so I wanted to get more information and I started to read other articles. And there was one night I was sitting in my living room and I was reading an article about a 12 year old girl who was forced to be a sex slave in the brothels of Southeast Asia and service countless men almost every single night. And down the hallway, I could hear my daughters getting ready for bed. So my older daughter was 12. She was the same age as the girl that I was reading about. And my younger daughter was nine. And when I walked in to say goodnight to them, I had this moment where I couldn't look them in the eyes. I couldn't look them in the eyes and walk away and not do something about this. And it was almost immediately, all of this stuff started welling up inside of me. And I started thinking, well, wait a minute, I've got this platform that my ancestors have built through struggle and through sacrifice. And mm -hmm. perhaps we could leverage the histor historical significance of my ancestry to do something about this. So we looked at the legacy of Frederick Douglass as a great abolitionist. The legacy of Booker T. Washington is a great educator. Aha, abolition through education. And the work that we do is based upon the foundation of one story in Frederick Douglass's life that he described in his first autobiography, the narrative, he described it as divine providence in his favor. And that was, he was chosen from among all of the children on the plantation on the Eastern shore of Maryland to go to Baltimore to be the house servant for his master's family. Now, the importance of this move was he was leaving in an environment where he wasn't around people that could teach him how to read and write, but now he was going to be in the big city. He would be around free black children and he would be around poor white children. But what happened most importantly when he got there was his slave mistress, Sophia Auld, had never had a slave before and didn't know that it was illegal to teach him. And she had a young son that she was teaching and Frederick was alongside, you know, bright-eyed and eager to learn. And then Frederick asked her, will you teach me? And so she began to teach young Frederick his ABCs and that was all he needed was that little spark of light into his mental darkness, into his mental bondage. And the lessons continued for a little while until his enslaver found out about him. And when he found out, he got angry and he looked at his wife and he looked at Frederick and he said, you cannot teach a slave how to read and write because if you do, it will unfit him to be a slave. And Frederick heard that message loud and clear and he looked at his master and he thought, hmm, if you don't want me to have this, I'm going to do everything in my power to gain it. And he would begin to teach himself to read and write. And so that, is, that story is at the foundation of the work that we do because through education in K through 12 uh, schools across the country, um, we are un working to unfit communities to allow slavery to thrive and exist. Mm -hmm. 
So tell me a little, this is, this is very powerful. I'm very, you know, happy to hear this, um, this story and this reminder of, of this part of the history. Um, but tell me a bit about how you reach young people today with these stories. When you say you, you know, you want to uh, encourage them to know that, you know, you can't be held down, you can't be enslaved when you're educated. What, what is the hook that keeps them interested? Do they just tap into the history because it hasn't been told and they're fascinated or do they, do they challenge that notion of, of, of slavery you know, that, that is not relevant to them and that they themselves are free? Uh, how does that go? And what, what, what are some moments that you might most remember from that process? Yeah, so when you were asking the question, I thought of a, a, when we first started in 2008 and we decided that we were going to go into schools and we weren't exactly sure. We didn't have a game plan for what we were doing. We just thought, okay, let's just get in the schools and start talking about this history. So we looked for schools that were named for Frederick Douglass and Booker T. Washington because we figured they wouldn't turn us away. And so we came up with a program called the Frederick Douglass Dialogues Tour. And the idea was to go to 30 schools in 30 days and just give presentations about this history and a formula that we later put together called history, human rights, and the power of one. And the power of one um, is service and civic engagement in the community. We wound up doing 45 schools in 30 days. And when we got into the schools, um, I saw that students and the teachers were really engaged with this history, hearing about it really for the first time. And when you talk about Frederick Douglass's story in particular, which is a really uh, a story that is a coming of age story. You know, he mm -hmm. was born into slavery and then the lessons of literacy and teaching himself to read and write, which is a remarkable feat in and of itself. But there's also another story about him trading food, tra trading bread for reading lessons with the poor kids in the neighborhood. And he wrote in that first autobiography, the narrative, he said, I was always so hungry as a slave child I always had this pit of hunger in my stomach that would never go away. And on occasion, when I would get food, the overseer would take cornmeal mush, throw it into a trough similar to what pigs eat out of. And all of the children, including Frederick, would crawl on their hands and knees as fast as they could to try to eat what little food was in there, to eat like pigs, to eat like animals. So when you consider this young boy who would trade something of such great importance, of great value to him, food, he traded that bread for reading lessons. The students get it immediately. And they say, okay, so Mr. Morris, so what you're telling me is that Frederick would rather feed his mind and have his stomach go empty. And then the other message that really comes out of these conversations and dialogue that we have with students is this idea that greatness flows through all of our veins. And that came from a 10-year-old girl. She said to me, she was so excited to share this with me. She said, Mr. Morris, I researched my family tree and I found that my great, 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 four greats grandmother was born into slavery. You saw me counting on my fingers. Yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> she was born into slavery, taught herself to read and write in secret and then escaped. And she became a successful businesswoman and a philanthropist. And she knew exactly what that word meant. And she was very proud of it. And so she's bouncing up and down in her chair. And she, so she said, so Mr. Morris, do you know what all of this means? And before I had a chance to respond, she said, it means I have greatness flowing through my veins, just like you do. And I will never forget that. Every time I tell that story, the hair on my arms and neck stands up 
because that's another theme that young people, when you present it to them in a way, especially those of us that descend from people that were enslaved, that the reason that we're here is because our ancestors overcame and survived and endured and, you know, and fought and died, some of them for the freedoms that we do have, may have given of their lives just so that some of us have a right to sit in a classroom and get an education today. And we all stand on the shoulders and walk in the shoes of those that came before us. And that message really resonates with, with young people, um, along with the stories of Frederick Douglass in education and Booker T. Washington walking 500 miles to go to Hampton Institute in Virginia. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, brother, you're doing a mighty work. You're doing the Lord's work when it comes to the precious young people. And you're right there in the hood, though, right? You're right there with the young folk. That's right. Catching hell, their parents catching hell in so many different ways. And how do you generate bounce back in the form of the quest for education, the love of truth and beauty and goodness? But my question is this, that uh, what, how would you characterize uh, the children that you are blessed to interact with and they're blessed to interact with you in terms of their attempt to wrestle with their environment. I mean, Frederick Douglass could never have conceived of a generation so commercialized and commodified and so tied to spectacle and celebrity and superficial wow. status and money and you know, polish and glitz and blitz and so forth. I mean, Booker T. Washington and Frederick Douglass, you know, these are brothers of tremendous integrity vis-a-vis -vis their own views. I mean, again, again, you know, they're different in terms of political and ideological orientation. One could argue that Douglas is much more leftist than Booker T. Washington was, right. but Booker T. Washington had his integrity. He, he had a, a certain character. And same is true with Douglas, but it seems to me the young people that you, that you are blessed to work with, their character is being assaulted intensely every day day with film and movies and social media and TV and all of these superficial values that are trying to push them off the cliff. Yeah, those are all, those are uh, challenges for sure. Um, and we face a lot of challenges today and young people certainly do as well. Um, you know, when Frederick Douglass started to self-liberate himself. And while he wasn't physically free from his bondage, he was on his way to becoming mentally free, but he started to think critically about his condition of enslavement. And yeah. he started to ask questions like, why am I a slave? And, and why do you own me? And he would turn to God and, and say, God, I don't understand how my master puts on a suit every Sunday and goes to church and in the word, and cherry pick scripture finds justification of brutalized, dehumanized, rape, pillage, and plunder as property. He's starting right. to ask questions. And while history is about the past, it's also about the present and the future. And mm -hmm. the more young people know where they come from, the better they're able to navigate in the world in which they live. And so I have young people that start to ask questions like, well, why is it that I'm, I'm born into a certain zip code and I have less access and opportunity to good education, healthcare, economic opportunity versus somebody that's born into another zip code through no fault of, of their own. And so imagine living at a time where your federal government said it's legal 
to own you and illegal to teach you, I think most people would have run away from that challenge. And thank goodness Frederick Douglass and many others didn't, or we would be a very different country sitting here today. So with all of the challenges that young people face today and all of those things that you mentioned, looking back at history, and again, understanding that they descend from, from greatness. And now we could look at our family tree and not everybody's great, like Frederick Douglass or Booker T. Washington or Anna Murray Douglas, who I hope we get a chance to talk a little bit about her. But we have people that we're not so proud of in our family as well, too. So we'll all find every those. Family, every family, every family, my brother. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, so when young people can start to really think about the world in which they live and the conditions in which they live in their communities. And, you know, you, I mentioned uh, that in our curricula, we developed service learning curricula called History, Human Rights and the Power of One, as I mentioned, and the power of one is service in the community. And so once the students learn about some historical uh, point in time, and then we ask them to look through the prism of history at contemporary human rights issues and, and looking at child labor trafficking and child sex trafficking. And then there's always that service component um, that empowers them to go into their community and to be uh, modern day abolitionists like a Frederick Douglass or a Sojourner Truth. Frederick Douglass said it's easier to build strong children than it is to repair broken men. Wow. And while we haven't given up on trying to repair broken men and women, we believe that the work that needs to be done is in building strong children. And Booker T. Washington said, if you want to lift up yourself, lift up someone else. And that, that's that service component in a community. So right. it's, it's certainly a challenge to do this work in communities. And, and not every young person is going to get it right away. But what we are doing is we're planting seeds. And I remember when I was younger, and I might have heard something, and, and then a few years later, 10 years later, 20 years later, it's like, oh, yeah, that's what. That's true. That's true. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. One of the things Cornell emphasized was, you know, about mass media and social media, which is, you know, I, sort of what I call a blessing curse, because, you know, it has created lots of, of human connections, but also lots of commodification. But but it's also brought lots of visual arts and collaborations to the fore. And you're involved with um, uh, a project, I understand, with Hit Record, doing a virtual monuments project, which, you know, is really interesting. I'd love to hear more, especially because there was so much tremendous, interesting repurposing creatively around monuments during many right. of the, the George Floyd protests. So tell us more about the virtual monuments and also your partnership with Hit Record. Yeah, Hit Record is led by uh, the actor Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And uh, they approached us with this idea on this virtual monuments project. And it took me, I have to be honest, it took me a little while to understand what, what they were talking about because I was thinking monuments. You know, we've been having this discussion about monuments and tearing statues down. Hey there, thank you for joining us on The Tightrope. For the full episode, please visit us at www.thetightropepod.com. We'll see you soon.